David, thank you. Good morning. Are you all well? You're a very good-looking congregation, you know that? <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, David, thank you for the invitation along. Uh, we've been just growing in friendship, and uh, I've been learning a lot from this guy. You're very blessed to have him as your minister, rector, pastor. What, what, what do you guys call it? You know what I mean, don't you? Okay, okay. I'm pres- I don't know all the rules. I'm Presbyterian, sorry. Uh, my name's Gareth. I'm married to Lara. Uh, I have three amazing kids, two dogs, aspiring for a partridge in a pear tree. We're, we're filling the house well. Um, we're down in Belfast now about 10 months, 11 months. And... Ooh, are we okay? Yep, good, okay. Um, yeah, let's read from God's Word. David's asked me this morning to preach on prayer and fasting. I really wish I'd read those guidelines on your website beforehand. It might have helped. But um, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's just a couple of verses. And then we'll dip into other places as well as we teach this morning. So listen now for God's word. Jesus says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank him for it. Let's pray for a second. Father, take these words and breathe your spirit on them and through them as they penetrate our hearts and our minds. May they be more than food to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm turning 40 this year. I know I hear you saying you're very young looking. Um, I'm turning 40 this year and I think 40 is great because I figure I'm going to get better presents than I got for my 39th birthday. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Um, the other thing is it's kind of a, a perspective birthday because I'm, I'm kind of probably halfway through my life hoping to live a little bit more than that. But, you know, I think, you know, anything beyond 80 is definitely a bonus. So 40 is this kind of time to take stock and to be aware of what I have been doing and what I want to do with the next 40 years. And I did that thing where I Google, you know, uh, how much time you spend over the course of your life doing certain things. You ever do that? You've seen some of it? 25 years working? That's okay. I love my job, so that's okay. I can live with that. Six years eating? I thought it'd be more. I'm a bit disappointed by that one. 13 months on the toilet? I'm just saying. Three months at traffic lights, that's pretty horrific, isn't it? This is the one that depressed me the most. Only two weeks kissing. I'm definitely aspiring to raise the bar on that one. Um, I think we can do better, guys, can't we? Two weeks? Um, Nine months in church. More if you go to Willowfield, because you guys have, what, about 12 services on a Sunday? Is that right, David? (laughs) Uh, four months reading the Bible, two and a half months listening to uh, sermons. How much time do you spend fasting? 
How much time have you invested in fasting up to this point in your Christian walk and your life? Richard Foster um, says, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. We can abstain from other things. We can, we can fast from social media, from Netflix. I think those are really good things to do in an age of just consumerism where we're bombarded by advertisements. Uh, you can fast from all kinds of things, but fasting in the Bible particularly <coughs> refers to food. And it's not a new idea. We see it all through Scripture. We see it, uh, first of all, appearing with the Mosaic Law. And the Hebrew people were invited to fast on the Day of Atonement. It was one day in the year. And then it developed from there to fasting became a central part in a lot of the Jewish high festivals um, and their annual gatherings. We have Christmas and Easter. They had other things and fasting played a big part of that. We see in the Old Testament that fasting was particularly important during times of national crisis or national lament. Um, one particular example is when um, the prophet Jonah went to preach in Nineveh. He preached the best sermon ever, eight words, and the whole city got saved. If I could preach like that, my sermons would be a lot shorter, and my church would be a lot fuller. But 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The king, the people, even the cows in the field fasted, put on sackcloth, and repented. So we see fasting during times of crisis and repentance. You move into the New Testament, you see Jesus modeled fasting as well. After he was baptized by John in the River Jordan, when he went, the very next thing he did wasn't to launch his ministry, preach a cracking sermon, or do miracles, or open the eyes of the blind, or anything like that. The next thing he did, he went and he spent time alone with God in the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray. And it set a pattern for his ministry where he frequently withdrew to quiet places to be alone with God. Jesus fasted. And not only that, he assumed that his followers, his disciples would fast as well. Because in his sermon on the mount, what Jesus says to them is, when you give, because he assumed generosity was important. We think generosity is important, isn't it? Yeah? It's okay. And I know you're not totally Pentecostal, but you can respond. It's okay. Um, we think generosity is important as Christians, don't we? Absolutely. So he said, when you give, and then he said in the next few verses, when you pray, we think prayer is important, don't we? It's a really core part of our Christian walk. And then he says at the start of our reading today, when you fast. He doesn't say, would you like to fast? Or you should really think about this. He just assumes we're going to do it. We all get the idea that we need to pray, but also we need to fast. Jesus assumed this would be part of our spiritual walk. And then in Matthew 9, um, when he's accused of being a drunkard and a glutton and, and, and not doing it, Jesus says to the accusers, the Pharisees, he says to them, when the bridegroom goes, the time for fasting will come. When I ascend to be on my Father Ascension Day on Thursday, when I ascend to be with my Father, then will be the time for fasting. And so the early church frequently gathered to fast, and the reformers in the 16th century frequently gathered to fast. And 
you and I are invited by Jesus to frequently fast as part of our spiritual walk. But we don't. I'm not going to ask you to, but if I said, put your hands up, who has fasted ever? I'm assuming some of you will and some of you won't. Um, And if I said, who's fasted this year? We're about halfway through the year. Some of you will, some of you won't. If any of you fasted in the past few weeks during the first 30 of the 50 days of prayer and fasting? I don't know. Why do we struggle with the idea of why? Why do we not fast? One of the, let's be honest, one of the reasons is it sucks. It's really hard, isn't it? Like some of you missed breakfast this morning, you're starving already. You came in too late to get a biscuit and a coffee before church started, and you're thinking, oh, I hope I can make it to lunchtime. Yeah? Another reason uh, that fasting isn't prominent in our, our church circles is because after the Reformation, there was such a reaction against Roman Catholic theology that I think a lot of us just assumed that fasting felt like works-based righteousness. I'm earning my way to get more of God. If I can do this, I'll be more pious and more spiritual. I get more of God. So our church leaders haven't prioritized this as part of teaching. And we've lost something because of that. I think, honestly, the biggest reason that fasting is something we we struggle with and don't prioritize today is because it's so contrary to the spirit of our age. We live in an age of, of consumerism, of indulgence, where you can be whatever you want to be, you can have whatever you want to have, instant everything. And fasting just seems so contrary to the spirit of our age. Um, Freud talked about, you've heard of Freud? Yeah, Sigmund Freud. Freud had this premise that has shaped so much of what society is today. He said we are evolved Darwinian animals that are designed to live according to their libido. Now, it's not a talk about sex, don't worry. You don't have to shuffle awkwardly in your seats. What he meant by that is that we are, we have these urges. Yes, some are sexual, but some are for food and some are for for consuming things and buying things and all these urges. And Freud says, you know, we are basically the same as animals. We are called to live according to our desires. We are called to live according to every desire that we feel. And he actually went on to say that the suppression of desire is the basis of neurosis. Now, that's very complicated. What he was saying really simply is, if you exercise restraint, if you don't run towards every single desire that you feel, you will be unhappy and you will be unfulfilled. And that sounds crazy, but you think the way society is at the minute, and people live according to their desires. In the LGBT community, look at the the credit crisis in 2006, people living according to their desires, doing whatever they feel like. Here's the problem with the idea of living according to your desires. I go to the better gym down at Cronswater, You know what? When I drive into the car park, park my car, it's really cruel what they've done. On my left is the gym where I can go into and get a chiseled six-pack. And on my right is Tim Hortons where I can go into and get a 10-pack of Timbit donuts. 
You see the problem there? And I drive into the car park with my gym stuff in the car and the best intentions, and yet in the same moment, I have these two competing desires. Six-pack in the gym, 10-pack of donuts. Six-pack in the gym, 10-pack of donuts. I have two competing desires, and here's the reality. I cannot fulfill both desires and get to the end goal that I want to get to. I have to suppress one of those desires if I want to get to fulfillment. You see that? Freud cannot be right. We cannot live according to every desire. It is not logically possible that that would bring us to a place of fulfillment. I much prefer what Augustine said in the fourth century. A church father, he said that we are image bearers of the living God. We are created by love to love. He said our problem is not desire. Our problem is disordered desire. What he said is, the problem is not that we don't love, but we love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. Not every desire that we feel should be fulfilled. It's not all going to lead to life and to hope. Some things need to be suppressed. And for over a thousand years, um, Self-control was viewed as a virtue. But in our age, in our era, self-control is not something that's held up as a virtue. So it's not. John Mark Comer, uh, he leads a church out in Oregon, phenomenal teacher, preacher. He says our strongest desire is not necessarily our deepest desire. Our strongest desire is not necessarily our deepest desire. In that moment, late at night, when you're on your computer and you open up the screen to look at pornography, in your rational moment during the day, you would never choose to do that. And yet in that moment, that is all you can think about. Your strongest desire in that moment is not the deepest desire that you feel of who you want to become. Do you see that? Some desires need to be suppressed. And this is why fasting is so important in this age that we live in especially. Because fasting is a gift that God has given us. It's never in the Bible a command. It's always an invitation. Fasting is a gift that God has given us to help us to identify and connect with our deepest desire. And our deepest desire is not a thing, it's not an ambition, it's not a goal. Our deepest desire is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And fasting is a vehicle, a gift that God has given to his people to help us connect and walk deeper and more in tune with Jesus Christ and to become more and more like him. So let me share with you a few things that fasting does. I'm going to rattle through some of these. I'm going to linger on some of these and we'll see how time goes. Fasting, first and foremost, shifts our perspective. It changes our perspective. That time when Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 um, and Satan came to him to tempt him. What was the first temptation? Remember? Did I not talk back to you here, David? No? No? Don't be shy, it's okay. Uh, to turn the stones into bread. He's fasting, he's starving. The tempter comes and says, you're the son of God, you can work miracles. You're gonna feed the 5,000. You can turn stones into bread. 
What did Jesus say to him? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus saying to the tempter? I'm not going to live my life just responding to every desire that my body feels. There's nothing wrong with food, and Jesus uses food as a vehicle for a miracle later on in his ministry. But what he's saying to the tempter in that moment is my ministry and my life is not going to be lived responding to every desire that I feel. My main desire, my primary desire is for God. And I can suppress this desire for food temporarily so I can walk more deeply in tune with my Father. What fasting does, first and foremost, it suppresses other desires and brings your desire for God front and center in your life. He says, I want more of you, God. It's a conscious decision to want to walk deeper with God. Fasting cultivates praise and thanksgiving. These are all P's, by the way. Do you appreciate this? Yeah? So we've got perspective, we've got praise. There's a few more to come as well. They're all peace too. Uh, it's a very Presbyterian alliteration thing going on. Um, but it cultivates praise and thanksgiving. I'm not going to stay long on this one, but very simply, when you bring God front and center in your life, all of a sudden you realize the money in the bank account that you have that you've worked so hard to get isn't simply a work of how great am I. It's a gift from God. Every breath that you breathe is a gift from God because you're not taking it for granted. You're, you're seeing him front and center in everything you do. Your family is a gift from God. Your health is a gift from God. And it cultivates gratitude. It cultivates praise and thanksgiving in your life when you have that altered perspective and bring God into the center. Third, it, it cultivates patience or self-control in a very practical way, and I've talked about this already, it teaches your body and your mind not to respond to everything it feels, but to search it and ask it, is this what God wants for me in the moment? Fourth, it's about petition, intercessory prayer, asking God for things. There's something about prayer and fasting that catches the attention of heaven. I believe God is sovereign. I believe that he's working out his purposes and his will. Uh, but there is something about prayer and fasting that catches heaven's attention and sees things shift in our time and in our era. We see that in the Bible with Esther before she went to speak to the king about the edict that had been issued to destroy all the Jews. Before she stepped into that conversation, she asked the Jewish people, who were with her to pray and to fast. And that prayer was answered. We see it in our own history in the most amazing way. Uh, as I was researching this, I read a story. In 1756, the French were about to invade England and the United Kingdom. And King George II called the country to a day of prayer and fasting because of the threatened French invasion. And people came and they, they, they stopped work and they packed out churches and cathedrals all over England to pray that God would intervene and move and the French wouldn't invade. And John Wesley, on the 6th of February, writes this in his journal. I'm going to read it out. 
He says, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemnness sat on every face. Humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. Isn't that amazing? That the leader of our country pulled people together for prayer and fasting and it seemed to shift something and what seemed like an inevitability, God intervened and changed what was to happen. I don't see our national leaders calling us to prayer and fasting, but maybe as church leaders we need to, as we look at Brexit, as we look at the chaos and the carnage that is going on at the minute between Conservative Party and Labour Party and what's happening in England, as we look here at our own shores in Northern Ireland and what's happening up at Stormont, as we think about our Just One event, Guys, as churches, we need to rise up and pray for God to intercede in our country. And maybe we need to pray and fast together to do this. It's biblical, it's historical, but it needs to be real and present today. Two more. It's about presence. Prayer and fasting become a vehicle to encountering the living Christ, the resurrected Jesus. Moses spent 40 days on the mountain and when he was there praying and fasting, he encountered God and he received the 10 commandments. Elijah was 40 days praying and fasting on the mountain and he encountered God in the gentle whisper. Jesus, prayer and fasting in the wilderness and spent time with his father in a way that envisioned him and propelled him into his three-year ministry. Peter, on the roof, praying and fasting when he received the vision from God that released revival amongst the Gentiles. When God gave him that vision, there is something about prayer and fasting that leads us into a place of encounter. John Tyson, uh, probably the best preacher on the planet at the minute, uh, he leads a church in New York. He says, the power in fasting is not the practice. The practice is a portal to the person. And this is important. The power in fasting is not the practice of fasting. But the practice of fasting is a portal to the person. Fasting creates a place where you just clear all the distraction out of your life and you create space for the Spirit of Jesus to move in. Fasting is a gift, an invitation from God to come to Him and experience Him more deeply. Our church uh, in Holy Week, we did a week of prayer and fasting. We're not as holy as you guys. You're doing 50 days of it. We just did it for a week. Uh, we, we might aspire to 50 days. We'll see how it goes. Um, we did a week of prayer and fasting during Holy Week. Our guys had never done that before. They'd done uh, a 24-hour day, but never a whole week. It was incredible. It was incredible how, how God moved in that prayer room space, how his presence was heavy. We actually did it in the sanctuary in the, in the church building. His presence was heavy in that place. 
It was amazing. And during the course of that week, people encountered God in new ways. Again and again and again, God spoke to different people the same thing, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and set the captives free and open the eyes of the blind. And that passage goes on to talk about how these broken people who who just are not religious people will encounter Jesus through his Holy Spirit and have their lives changed. And in verse four of Isaiah 61, it talks about how God is going to use these people who were once broken and forgotten by the church to, to rise up within the church and tell a new story over our land. And it was so prophetic, it just came again and again and again with such conviction that it it solidified things that we were sensing about our step into community and into mission. Jesus speaking to us really clearly. Not only that, during that week of prayer and fasting, the presence of God was so heavy on the place, we had people walking in off the street, total strangers saying, what's happening here? I just had to come in. When, when do you meet for, would it be okay if I came to church? I haven't been to church. We weren't even doing evangelism. It was just happening. People were drawn to the presence of Jesus. And during that week, we saw six people come to faith, get saved that week. Isn't that incredible? There's something about prayer and fasting that opens up access to the presence of Jesus. And then finally, finally, power. This is the final one. In Mark 9, there's this incredible story that resonates with my, oh, sorry, resonates with my heart, something shocking. Jesus is up on the mountaintop, the Mount of Transfiguration. A couple of his disciples are with him and there's the most incredible encounter with God on there, on that mountainside. And he comes down off the mountain and they meet this this dad, a father, who has a son who has symptoms that sound very like epilepsy. We're told he's demon-possessed. What combination of that, I, I don't know. But the disciples who weren't up on the mountain have been praying with this boy and this father and, and they just cannot see healing. They cannot see breakthrough come. And Jesus comes along and he says to them, some things can only be done with prayer and fasting. And what's really interesting, he doesn't fast in that moment. He doesn't even really pray. He he just casts out the evil spirit and speaks healing over the boy. And like that, the child is healed. And I think what he's saying is that In a life of prayer and fasting, your everything falls into this rhythm with God. You fall in in step with God. And you become better at hearing his voice and recognizing his presence and knowing what he wants to do in any given situation so that in that moment with that boy, Jesus knew just what to pray because he was so in tune with his father. The reason this story resonates with me, I told you at the start, we've got three kids. We have two girls who are nine and six, go to Orangefield Primary. We have a wee boy, Archie, 
Can't believe the royal family stole our name. It's raging. Um, but when Archie was born, when he was two months old, he had a bleed on his brain. Nobody saw it coming. There was no knock, no accident, just one of those things, one of those broken things in the world. And the MRI scan, just, it, it just looked like a third of his brain had been wiped out, like someone had taken an ice cream scoop and just, it, it was devastating. He developed epilepsy from it. His development just retracted back. And every time he had a seizure, his development reset. Through amazing medical care in the Royal Victoria Hospital in Great Ormond Street, and through prayer, we saw breakthrough coming over the course of a couple of years. But one thing the doctors had said to us is, he's, he's not going to speak. Where the, the bleed is in his brain, he's not going to speak. That, that part of his brain's been just decimated. He's not going to speak. Uh, when he was four or five, we felt God say to us as a family to gather around Archie in a posture of prayer and fasting and pray for him, pray that God will give him words. And so we did, as a, as a family, with our two girls, my wife and myself, we just, you know, every night put them to bed, we just laid hands on him and spoke healing over him. Prayed for words, really simply. And there was one night I was out working, I came home, everybody was in bed, and the next morning I got up and Karis, our oldest daughter, she was six at the time, came running down the stairs like, Daddy, Daddy, guess what, guess what? I'm going, what's wrong? She's like, last night we were praying for, God, for Archie to speak and God answered the prayer and he started to speak. And something shifted in his brain. And one word and then two words and three words and now you can't get him to shut up. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Some things can only happen with prayer and fasting. It's not that fasting releases power. What fasting does is it deepens intimacy. It deepens intimacy with the living God. And an intimacy identity is confirmed. You realize that you are a child of God. You are chosen by God. That his spirit is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and is on you. And in that place of intimacy, as your identity is confirmed as a child of the living God, identity releases authority and we get to pray in Jesus' name. There's loads of stuff. I could say, but let me finish with this. Fasting, if you've never thought about it before or if it's something you only do sporadically, I want to encourage you to build it into your life as a rhythm. If you're able to, not everyone is because of medication and different things, but if you're able to, build fasting into your life as a rhythm. Whether it's once a month or quarterly or whatever that looks like. Take a day or even a couple of days abstain from food and use those times that you would eat and use those hunger pangs as time just to be alone with God and to reach for him and discover him reaching for you because what this is about is about friendship with Jesus fasting 
is just a vehicle for us to encounter Jesus and to become more like him. And that, I promise you, is our deepest desire. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band back up. Father, we thank you that your desire is for us to know you and to be known by you. We thank you, Father, that you've made this possible through through the cross, through your son giving his life in our place, dying for our sins and rising again for our salvation. And we thank you, Lord, that this is not just a moment in history, an event in history, but that Jesus is alive and is real. And that we are invited to know you, Lord, not just know about you. For some of you here this morning, You felt convicted about this. Don't feel guilt. Don't feel shame. It's an invitation to know Jesus better. And I pray, Lord, you take the words that have been spoken that are your words, not that are my words, that are your words, and bind them on people's hearts and and lead them into different rhythms of life, into places of encounter and places of transformation and places of presence and places of power. And for anyone today who who this idea of friendship with God, friendship with with the living God is, it feels new. For anyone today who, who feels they want to get right with God, they want forgiveness, they want this new life that only Jesus can bring. As we say here in in Belfast, if you want to become a Christian, you want to get saved. Pray with me now. Jesus, I believe in you. I turn to you. I repent of the things in my life that I know are wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. I'm not perfect. I don't know all the right answers but I know I need you. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen.